Wonderful promise, isn't it? God can make all things new. He's the only one that can promise that and actually deliver. Stand with me, if you would, as we ask God to speak to us clearly, cleanly, directly for 2019. A new scene in 2019. You like it? I'm a rapper. Lord, thank you. You make all things new. Old things pass away. All things become new. Thank you that your steadfast love never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Lord, great is your faithfulness. I pray today you'd speak to the soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Really excited for Wednesday nights. I just want to say thank you, Dave Munley, for taking the lead on that right in a crazy busy time. I know you're low profile, not want to be the center of attention, but this man is probably one of the great leadership and Bible teaching minds in this zone of the Northeast. And uh, you don't want to miss Second Timothy Wednesday nights. We start our teaching at seven o'clock sharp and from seven to eight, one hour, but a bing, but a bong, but a done. And uh, how many of you are saying my New Year's resolution is, is I want more of God in my life. I want more of Christ in my life, right? That's a great way to do it. And we would love to see you here and join us for that. We also have prayer for an hour beforehand, but if you came here early and you showed up, um, that way you can join us and you can join us for that time of prayer. And that's another great way of letting the Lord be a part of what we're doing. Great to see you. Great to see you guys with a baby. Hallelujah. Awesome. Uh, I've got some goals for 2019. You want to see my first one? Bam! Hey, hey, with God, all things are possible, right? <laughs> uh, I, got some, I got some weight goals too. It's been so hard with my thyroid being gone. My metabolism is like all over the place and probably my snacking is not helping the situation at all, just to confess that. But uh, God is so good. Uh, I, rem- I, I saw this ad on, uh, fi- on Facebook recently. It was two cats and one of the kittens was pressed up against the other's head and he goes, you're not fat, you're just fluffy. You're just fluffy. So I just want you to hear with me, we're not fat, we're just fluffy, that's all. We're just fluffy. But I remember one of my uh, students uh, who's gone on to ministries in upstate New York now, or actually near Niagara Falls, uh, Jordan Hilke, and he, he said to me, I've got some goals for, for, for 2017, 2016. I go, what is it? He goes, I'm losing and weight. He goes, I'm going back to my baby weight. I was like, you are crazy young man. But I got some weight goals. In fact, I was talking to a professional Harvard psychologist recently. They said that one of the best and only ways to really lose weight is two things, is change habits, but then also uh, set a goal, set a goal. So um, I'm just, I'm not, I'm gonna step on the scale with nobody else watching, but I'm setting some goals and we're gonna get there and uh, I might look like that, bam, you know? And then, uh, you know, Stephen Furtick, watch out. And uh, I might look like this, but maybe you wanna combine, maybe your goal you want more money in 2019. That's your new scene in 2019. You want to be the king and the queen of bling, but why not combine some of those goals together and hit them all at the same time? That's my hope. Grace is one of our core values in this church. You know, a church has things that it focuses and emphasizes, and we've been for the past three years asking, Lord, what are some of the things that 
that need to be part of it. And obviously for a church, God's word needs to be central. And we believe that we try to keep that central. We don't preach uh, cunning thoughts and new philosophies. We preach God's word. We believe that it's timeless, it's inerrant, it's infallible, it's inspired, and it's the thing that, the catalyst that changes our life. We also believe in prayer. We have multiple prayer meetings. Monday mornings, there are a group of ladies that are meeting downstairs. How many of you ladies are here that are part of that prayer meeting? Can I just tell you, we just renovated the room upstairs there and upstairs there. That one's probably an easier start. It's heated, it's nice, and it's got couches, but if that will impact your quality of prayer, don't use that room, okay? Uh, but uh, we, we have that available to you, and we, we invite you there. We're here, our staff meets every Tuesday, from eight o'clock to nine o'clock, we meet here for prayer. And maybe you're, stay, maybe you're in between work, maybe you're, uh, you have Tuesdays off or whatever. Anytime you want to, you can drop in here at eight o'clock and join us for prayer. It's a good time. And of course, our Wednesdays, we have from seven to eight, six to seven, and then our evening service starts seven to eight. And then every other Saturday, we even have some ladies that are here praying. And let me tell you what, you want more of God in your life? Uh, put more of your life into God. These are the places and the opportunities to do that, and it's a great chance to grow. But one of our core values with all of those is grace. And in simple, really, the, the video showed it really well. Grace is a second chance, a fresh start, a new beginning. How many of you, in 2019, when you go to sleep and wake up next year, are hoping that this year will not be like the one that just passed? <laughs> Someone's really excited about that. They're like, yes! I think when you just do life, it's like you're always hoping, man, if God could just make it better. And he can. And that's what grace is. Grace is like God just coming in and sweeping away and blessing your socks off. And how does change really take place in our life now that we're, we're moving into the new year? Um, how, does, how does it... Happened. Faye, good to see you, by the way. Thank you. Thank you, Faye, but thank you all of you who just blessed my family, by the way. I'm sorry to have a pause here. So many of you blessed my family with gift cards and gifts in the staff as well, too. Can I just publicly, just in one shot, say thank you, all of you, for your generosity? It was a very Merry Christmas, and uh, Pastor Dylan somehow got Starbucks cards and uh, uh, Chipotle cards there, because that's his love, but you guys got it right. Dunkin' Donuts. Hallelujah. Jehovah Java, that's his name. Thank you. I, I would be amiss if I moved into the new year without just pausing and thanking you for your generosity. Thank you. And for all of your kind words and prayers. We, we need them and we appreciate them. Now, I, I taught for 10 years in a Bible college. I was always active in ministry, always active in my church. I'm so grateful for the Bible college professors and uh, Gordon Conwell and other school graduates that are part of this community, they are the most involved people that I know uh, that are not only taking their 40 hours a week and 50 hours a week and pouring it in, but then they come here and they give beyond that working security. Uh, Dave Hodge up here singing, but, but I'm excited about these upcoming classes because they are phenomenal and they are going to transform our life and we're believing that we are going to give you the quality that you would receive in a Bible college here but I feel like I've been lied to with theology. How many of you have ever heard of the ideas of dichotomy and trichotomy? All right, I'm gonna lay it on you. I see that hand, all right? The rest of you are gonna be like, did a what? I told you we're a Pentecostal church. All right, so here, think of this, dichotomy. This really comes out of Greek philosophy. Man is mind and spirit, all right? And so that's dichotomy, two, two parts. 
And then there's trichotomy. It's a real fancy theological word that means that we're not two parts, we're three. We're the mind, we're the emotions, and we're the body. And here's the thing that I've come to find is, is that a lot of the times that I try to change, I fail because I only engage one part of who I am. Like for instance, in 2018, I determined in my mind that I was going to go to the gym. How many of you were on that page, right? Yes, and so 2018 is coming, it's about to go, and uh, I still have paid for the membership, but <laughs> the results are not showing yet, right? I can decide something in my mind, but if my body does not participate in the program, it's a waste. And I could have my mind and my body involved in something, but how many of you have ever been present in mind and in body, but your heart was a million miles away? And it's almost, that's a, that's a prison in and of itself. And when you look at Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through six, it goes like this, if you're Jewish and Hebrew. Shema Israel Adonai Elohu Adonai Echad. And this is why they won't let me sing in the worship team. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord, he is one. With Uvechol. Turn to your neighbor and speak Hebrew. Say, Uvechol. That literally means with your all. Here's what's amazing about this verse when it's written in Hebrew. And Dave Hodge, you'll catch this, but it's written in such a way that it says, he, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might or your strength. Jesus quotes us in the New Testament in Greek and he says, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's all semantics, but both verses are really saying the same thing. God doesn't want part of you, he wants every part of you. And I've given God my mind in some things and it hasn't translated to my heart and my body and it failed. And I've given God my body showing up Sundays but my heart wasn't in it and my mind didn't apply it and it failed. I've given my mind to the gym and my body wasn't in it and my health failed. All these different things don't work and here's what's amazing. Jesus is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Jesus says, if anyone who come after me must deny himself, take up his cross and then that's where you begin following him. And it's written in such a way that it says, how much of your heart does God want? Uvechol, he wants all of it. How much of your soul, your emotions does God want? Uvechol, he wants all of it. How much of your physical strength, worshiping God with your strength, how much of it does he want? He wants it all. He wants all of it. One of the most powerful worshipers I ever met in my entire life was my friend John Ryerson. Um, I don't think he had Down syndrome, but he had something close to it. And what was amazing to me about John is that although I met lots of people with really big minds, nobody had more of their minds surrendered to God than my friend John did. Nobody had more of their body surrendered to God than John did because whenever there was something to be done, he just, he said, how can I help? Nobody had a bigger heart than John because whenever somebody wept, he put his arm around him and just said, I'm so sorry, and a tear would go down his face. The bar for worship in my life is a mentally challenged teenager named John Ryerson because he lived this verse in ways that I have watched some of the most educated and long-standing Christians have come short in comparison to when John stands on the platform. And he challenges me, even to this day, that God would not compartmentalize into my life, but he'd have every area of it. That's a challenge. It's not easy to give God everything. 
It's kind of like the story of the chicken and the pig. When it comes to breakfast, the chicken contributed, but the pig participated completely in the breakfast. How many of you got your picture taken with that pig last week, by the way? All right, somebody's really excited about that, yes. <laughs> My son and Cam and uh, uh, Jaden, a couple of kids were dressed up in animal suits doing that too. I got a picture of it with uh, Veranda. We called it pre-bacon was the name of the picture. Pre-bacon. What does God want from you? He wants all of you. And he wants you to experience a new scene in 2019. Really, I know that next week we talked about starting a a sermon series on financial freedom, but really you could say the next 60 days are going to be about transformation. Today we're talking about transformation in your heart, mind, and body, all complete for experiencing a new scene in 2019. And that's what we're talking about today. But we wanna see transformation financially. We wanna see transformation in our stewardship. We wanna see, we're gonna take time in the beginning of February to talk about transformation in our dating relationships and our engagement, and most importantly, in our marriages. And we're even going to take a series and we're gonna talk about, uh, we're gonna talk about separation and divorce because the only time you ever hear about it is, is when you're being shamed. But God has a hope and a promise and help for those of you that are separated or divorced and he still loves you and he wants to be a part of your life and it's not hopeless and it's not helpless and God has answers even for that kind of stage in our life. So we're gonna believe God for transformation in every area and hopefully even in my body in 2019. Hallelujah. That's what I wanna talk with you about, a new scene in 2019. How do I change my scene for 2019? It means you and I, friends, have to manage a couple of things. We're stewards. God's given us gifts. He's given us our minds. He's given us our bodies and he's given us our strength. And really, in order for us to experience change in 2019, we have a part to play in the process. How many of you just wish God would just show up like Tinkerbell and just sprinkle dust over you and you just wake up and you're like, you're, you're fit, you're ripped, you've got a new car in the driveway and your bank account reads $27 million. Hallelujah, the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. I've come to find that it just doesn't work that way. God says, let's start working, let's start working. And so where's the first place we're gonna work? We're gonna talk about working on our mind. God says to you and me, I need you to manage your thinking. I need you to manage your mind. Bible says it like this, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And I don't mean that we create reality, but sometimes we become enchained and enslaved to the ways that we think, whether those thoughts are correct or whether they're incorrect. And there are tons of people that I've met and sometimes even seasons in my life where my thinking has been stinking. And actually I'm living out from a disposition of where God hasn't ordained my life to be, but I've enslaved myself to it because the way that I'm thinking is making me a a prisoner to the way that God, God's thoughts are, and God says it like this, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts, and so are my ways above your ways, and so we need God to take us to higher ground when it comes to our thinking. Proverbs chapter 23, uh, Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 reads like this, guard your heart the way that you think, for it determines the course of your life. Every action begins as a thought, friends. If you don't think it, you won't do it. And that is either for the good or for the bad. And what's amazing is is that we can get trapped in such negative mindsets, such defeated mindsets that, that 
God every once in a while had to show up in the Bible and speak truth to people. He shows up to Joshua and he's looking at a vast army and an undefeatable city and a walled uh, fortress and oh my goodness, what am I gonna do? And the angel of the Lord shows up and says, hey, don't be terrified, don't be discouraged, the Lord is with you wherever you go. Be strong, be of good courage, don't be terrified, don't be discouraged. The Lord's with you, Joshua, wherever you go, you've got this. How many of you have ever walked into a situation insecure and that person that you love comes alongside you and is like, you got this, you got this. And then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I got this. I can do this. I can. We all need that encouragement from heaven. But how many of you were impacted by someone who said you're worthless, you're no good, you don't matter? I'll never forget when I was in high school, the end of my sophomore year, beginning of my junior year, I can't remember which it was, but I was totally a drunk, an alcoholic, a drug addict. I was a train wreck, foul mouthed disaster. I was that kid that was just like, they didn't know what to do with me. And I'll never forget, the vice principal called me into his office and he looked at me and he said this, I kid you not, this is a direct quote from Mr. Fifthall. He said this, he said, you know what? You're acting like trash. We're gonna find you dead in a gutter with a bullet in your head. Hey, answer that, would you? Um, we're gonna find you dead in the gutter with a bullet in your head. And it was at that moment that I stopped and I looked at him and I looked at the exit door and I said, I'm dropping out of school. And I left. And for years, what kept playing through my mind? You're garbage. You're gonna be dead. You're gonna have a bullet in your head. I wish I knew about lawsuits back then, man. Like, slam dunk. But you know what? We're not about that. We're not about that. Some of you are like, amen, that reinforces my lawsuit. Nope, there's some Bible verses about that. Uh, but just, just, just know that like people, man, the Bible says the tongue has the power of life and death. And some of us have had some death sentences spoken into us because of people that were just reckless with their words. And if you accept those statements, whether, uh, whether they're facts or fiction, right or wrong, you can find yourself living your life from a disposition that God had never intended you to live. Your belief shapes your life even if it's not true. That is why Satan has chosen the title the father of all lies because he can destroy your life so effectively through deception, through self-deception, through lying to you without him doing anything that requires any effort than just sowing a lie into your life. He will get you to destroy yourself. That's exactly what happened in the garden. He looked at Adam and Eve and he said, yeah, you know, they saw that it was good to eat and that it was desirable for the gaining of knowledge and he said, eat that and you'll be like a God. It was a half truth, which was a whole lie. He didn't tell them about the consequences. He didn't tell them about the shame. He didn't tell them about the, what would happen if they did that. But what they did, what they did was they bought the whole lie as a half truth and they bit into it and the rest is history and before I enter into the pearly gates I'm gonna have Adam stick his chin through them and I'm gonna knock him in the face before I cross over into glory. Thank you very much, Adam. He lies to you emotionally. I used to always think that the lies of the devil are just like, you know, somebody comes up to you and says, Jesus isn't Lord. No. You know what he does? They don't love you. They don't really care. They say they're with you, but they're not. Oh, he's so, so smart at what he does. He's been studying human behavior for, he's the most manipulative individual in the universe. And he just continues to manipulate and play us and the lies that we, that we think, the feelings that we feel. And he, 
This is why Jesus didn't show up and say, I am the God of truth, I am the Father of truth. He says, I am the truth. You wanna find out, listen, you know what's amazing? When I I was a bank teller, my first uh, full-time day job, and what they did in order for us to handle the money, they they didn't show us tons of counterfeit, they had us handle real money, and then at the end of the training, they brought in counterfeit dollars, and it was easy to tell it, because when you handle the real thing, lies become, and deceptive counterfeits become very obvious when you've handled truth. And God wants us to handle truth. God wants us to understand it, to buy the truth and not sell it. But I need to understand this and you need to understand this. First of all, that your mind is the battlefield, not just with Adam and Eve, but Jesus in the wilderness, right? He's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And what's the first line that the devil lays on him? Turn those stones into bread. He totally goes after a genuine need and totally leverages and sows in there. Just turn it, you know, there are no consequences. Just do it. Just do it without thinking. And what does Jesus do? He thinks. What does he think on? He thinks on the word of God. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Father. You want to resist temptation and evil? You're not going to do it with good feelings, self-discipline, and health fitness yoga classes. You're going to do it with the word of God. And so then Satan comes up to him and says, hey, you want everyone to love you? Jump off of that pinnacle, and as you're falling, the angels will catch you and everyone will see what you are. And he says, no, don't put the Lord your God to the test and bow down and worship me. I've got all the connections. I can give you what you want. Yeah, but you give me all kinds of things with that and none of it is what God has for me. Be gone from me, Satan. Worship the Lord and him alone shall you serve. And he sends him off. Lie after lie after lie. And that's what it looked like for Jesus and that's what it looked like for Adam and Eve. What does it look like for you? Are there thoughts about your marriage? Are they thoughts about your family? Are they lies about your future? Are there lies about your presence? Is it lies about your past? See, he doesn't know how to do it any other way than a lie, but let me tell you something, friends. If you wanna manage your life, handle the real thing and the counterfeit will be obvious. Handle God's word, handle God's presence, handle God's truth, talk to him in prayer, read his word. You want more of God in your life, put more of your life into the things that, that God is in and God is at, and it will expose lies for what they are. Sins begin in your mind, envy, pride, lust, anger, all of them begin between the two years of where we are. Romans chapter 7, 22 and 23 reads like this, for if I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see another member, I, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul is writing in Romans and he's saying, I want to do God's will, but my body and my sinful nature does not. And I've got a battle going on in my mind and you've got a battle going in my mind. And the only way that battles are won is if you manage them and you declare war. And God tells us to take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ Jesus. And if it ain't something that God would want you to be thinking, it ain't worth meditating and dwelling on. No matter how innocent the scheme and thought might be. I heard it put one way like this once. You sow a thought, you'll reap a deed. You sow a deed, you'll reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a lifestyle. You sow a lifestyle, and you inherit a legacy. We need to manage our mind in order to experience a new scene in 2019. It's key to peace in our life, friends. Managing your mind leads to peace, tranquility, confidence, strength, security and serenity, but an unmanaged mind leads to tension, pressure, conflict, chaos, stress, manipulation, 
and the list goes on and on. Romans 8, 6 says it like this, for I set my mind, if you set your mind on the flesh, to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the spirit is life and peace. Your reality is determined upon your mindset and how you think. And God wants us to manage our thinking. So if I surrender my mind to God, that's enough. No, it's not. So you also have to manage your emotions. Some of us struggle in the area of our thinking. Others of us struggle in the area of our emotions. And we'll talk in a minute. Some of us struggle in the area of our body. All of them are areas that God says, enough with the struggle. You need to begin to fight the battle and you need to manage them and bring them in subjection to Jesus Christ, his word and his will. God made us emotional beings. This is, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing where like you have some people that are like, oh, just don't get all emotional on me and stuff, right? Like how many of you, like the second somebody starts weeping, you're like, all right, I'm out of here, you know? And, but here's the thing. Some of you, by the way, are very moved when you see someone else's suffering. That is not a curse and that's not weakness. That's called empathy. And it's a gift from God. I, I am not a, a regular weeper. If you see weeping going on, you're like, oh my goodness, the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. <laughs> like, it's there. But it doesn't mean that I don't feel. But I've rem- I remember times in my life, my wife in particular is definitely an empathetic person. And we nicknamed her Cryanna. And so she, there are times where she, she will just feel your hurt. And I remember there was one time in my life where she was just like dropping tears for something that I was so numb to, but she was just like, I feel that pain. And I was, a- I was able to identify with that. I just say that to say this, is, is that th- there's something wrong with the rest of us if when somebody gets emotional, we just shut it down and we wanna walk away and avoid it at all costs. Now, on the other hand, if somebody's blubbering their way through life or whatever, you wanna be like, hey, pull it together, you know? I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying like, if we're saying avoid tears at all costs, something's wrong because some of you, you're gifted by God with that. When I talk about managing emotions, I'm not talking about shutting them off. I'm not talking about ending them. We're emotional beings. Our emotions serve as a reaction and affirmation to what's going on around us. But let me tell you something about emotions. They are wonderful companions, but they are absolutely horrible guides for life. If you allow your emotions to be unmanaged, you'll experience insecurity while a managed Emotional life leads to confidence. Unmanaged emotions can lead to rage, while managed emotions lead to discipline. Unmanaged emotions can lead to depression, while managed emotions can lead to joy. Now, I understand that there are different seasons in our life, and we sometimes are deeply impacted. I'm not saying that if you're a follower of Christ, you will never be angry, you will never be depressed, you will never be sad. That would not be honest with you. Those are as much emotional reactions to things that are going on around us, and that's a part of life. And we all reach those seasons where we need help and we need hope and we need strength. And there is nothing wrong with getting support for those things in your life. And in fact, I require every pastor on staff to see a professional counselor on and off throughout seasons. And if if you see seeing a counselor's weakness, you're missing the benefit of that needed strength, that help and that hope in your life. But let me tell you what, when you don't manage emotions and you let them become your guide, it will lead you to places that are dangerous and unhealthy not only for you, but for the people that rely on you. And in fact, unmanaged depression can lead to hopelessness and suicide. 
Think about this for a second. In Isaiah chapter seven, verse four, we were talking about the, 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 the woman will give birth to a child, the virgin will give birth to a child, and, you'll, and it says that afterwards, it reads like this, the king is afraid, he's out in the field, and he's like, I don't know what to do, there's an army coming, I'm freaking out, and Isaiah the prophet says to him this, he says, be careful, be quiet, and do not fear, do not let your heart grow faint. Now think about this, how many of you have ever been sad, and someone's come up to you and said, stop being sad, it's like, shut up. You know, what are you talking about? Like, it's real easy for someone, you know, when you just like all of a sudden you crashed your car and like, hey, it's okay, at least you got your health, you know? It's like my car's totaled. There are difficult situations where it's hard for us to do that, but if we let our emotions run wild, we get out of control. And, and some of us in this room, and I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but I'm speaking, if you're a part of the human race, maybe this is your area of weakness where you allow your emotions to, to create the momentum and the reality that is a distortion of, of what even truth is, and it just carries you away into places that God never intended you to do. And I love how Isaiah the prophet says this on behalf of God to him. Sometimes I need God to say this to me this way. Sometimes maybe you need God to say it to this way. It's not just don't be afraid. Sometimes God needs to be, shut your mouth and be quiet. Be careful. That's literally, it's, right, it's reading this. Be careful, close your mouth. How many of you have ever done more damage when you've been out of control emotionally and you just all of a sudden just go, Wah! and you just freak out and, and then you're cleaning up the mess from that. And I think sometimes like God comes to us and says, be careful, be quiet. Yeah, don't be afraid. Don't let your heart faint. But watch and manage your emotions in the crisis or you will create a secondary crisis that may be even worse than the first or, make, may, or, or may rob the hope and the help that God has for you in this difficult situation. Others of us, our emotional management isn't external. It's internal. It's like you swallow a grenade and it goes, nobody knows it but deep in your soul, you're falling apart. You're imploding, not exploding. You're not blowing up on other people. You're withering in your existence. You know, I love the fact that God is an emotional God, and if you don't believe it, just read the Psalms. Just read the prophets. Just read Job. When somebody squeezes you, it hurts. Listen, Jesus is tough enough to handle a vent session from us. And life hurts, and sometimes emotionally it hurts. But we need to manage our emotions because they are great indicators and are there as a gift from God, but emotions are horrible guides for our life. I love what one of my mentors said to me. It says it like this. It said, Paul, do and let your feelings catch up with you later. Do the right thing and let your feelings catch up with you later because emotional momentum is one thing, but emotional motivation never works. If I wait to do the right thing until I feel the right thing, by the time I finally feel it, it won't even matter because it'll be too late anyway. Are you with me here this morning? Have you ever been in that place? I'm talking about my gym membership this year in 2018. That's what I'm talking about. I'm waiting to feel it. Like, I'm going to go to the gym. I got the Rocky theme in the back of my heart going, da -da -da. and then my, you know, I remember my doctor said, be careful that your, your treadmill doesn't become a, a coat hanger, you know? But this goes for so many areas in our life, in our marriage, in our outlook of our future, in how we 
let go of or hold on to our past in healthy or unhealthy ways. Romans 12, 2 says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and that by testing, you may discern what the will of uh, God is, what his good and acceptable and perfect will is. Friends, can I tell you something? You might think you know what the will of God is, but the truth of the matter is your thoughts are not his thoughts, your ways are not his ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so God says, are my thoughts above your thoughts and my ways above your ways? The Bible says that there is wisdom in the counsel of many. I sit around in a table and I have a bunch of young adults on a staff and I am incredibly blessed that the leadership team in our church, the immediate paid staff, all are under the age of 27 and under, which is close to my age, and I'm really grateful for that, that I have people that I can relate to. But let me tell you what, on any given week, I will throw out and say, what do you think about this? And I will ask their opinion. And sometimes there are people in this church that are friends, and I'll go out and I'll say, what do you think about that? And that might perceive to be weakness or incompetence or indecisiveness, but not at all. The problem is I know exactly what to do, and that's what scares me. I need wisdom, I need advice, I need perspective. In fact, the board, I said to them, your greatest gift to me is perspective because you are, you are the ones that see in my blind spot. It has amazed me how I'll make a good business decision or a good pastoral decision and then somebody like Linda or Hap or Marcel will come in and say, what about the people? And I'll be like, oh, I, would, I missed that. I miss there constantly, and, and, and it's so important that we're not controlled by our heart, but we're able to be moved in a new direction according to our heart. How many of you have ever been blinded by your emotional frustration or anger, and you're not willing to look at where the answer lies, but somebody is able to just help nudge you, and you're like, you know what, I don't like it, but I just gotta, that, that's the right thing, and I just gotta do it. That's part of managing your, your, your emotions. The uvehol, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Proverbs 28, 26, he that trusts in his own heart is a fool. But whosoever, uh, whoever, walk, whoever uh, walks wisely, he shall be delivered. There's wisdom in the counsel of many. I don't just need to manage my mind. I just don't need to manage my emotions, but either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. I need him to be Lord of my body. Get ready, I'm gonna mess with you. My body is the engine for my heart and my mind. It steers my life and God cannot sail anchored ships. I offer my body to God. Hear me again, you are called to offer your body to God. First Corinthians 6.20 says this, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. That's how Paul wrote it. You were bought with a price. Stop making excuses. Stop justifying it. Start glorifying God with your body. He paid for it for eternally with his blood. You were bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. Romans 12.1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. In fact, one version says this is your acceptable, this is your reasonable worship. Imagine, God, here's my heart. I love you. I love singing songs. I love feeling about you. Here's your mind. Oh, God is so awesome. God is, and then all of a sudden he says, this is something that's not pleasing to me, but because it's pleasing to you, your body goes right over here and says, I'm gonna do it anyway. Either he is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. 
Now, God doesn't call us to perfection, but he calls us to direction. Let me just throw a couple of things out there and mess with you, but I say it to you because I love you. First of all, if you're here and you claim to be a follower of Christ and he's got your mind and he's got your heart, but your body is in bed with somebody that you are not married to, you are not right with Christ, you are not in a right relationship with him, you're deceiving yourself, he wants to set you as free as he wanted to set the Corinthians free, it doesn't mean that that person isn't right for you and it doesn't mean that that relationship can't be good for you, but under those terms, it might feel so right and it's all wrong. I'll never forget a woman who is in complete raging adultery and she looks at me and she says pastor how could something that feels so right be so wrong because God says it's wrong and some of you in this place I love you but your mind is here and your heart is here but your body is not the Lord's I had a, a, a professor he was a judo master he was a fourth degree Kodokan judo master and so for the four years that he was with us on campus I was like I'm doing judo this guy knows it and so he just threw me all over the place. And this was his statement. He said, Paul, he goes, your soul belongs to the Lord, but your body belongs to me. And he goes, boom. Like, oh, yes. <laughs> I remember one time he had me pinned. He's like, say it. I go, my soul belongs to Jesus. My body belongs to you, Alan. <laughs> and the way you surrender is you say, mate. I'd be like, mate, mate, mate. But some of you in this room, man, your soul belongs to the Lord, but your body belongs to you, and you think that that's acceptable, and you think that that means you, you, you can give him part and not all, and it's not, and it's not honest. And Listen, I don't, have, I don't have the inside track on any of your lives. I don't know anyone here that I could say, oh, well, this is a situation that's going on. Let me speak to it. But I know if you're human and you're human nature and you're in this church, I, I, you know what? We're not gonna just, we're gonna let God's word say what it says and we're gonna speak the truth in love. But the truth is, is that he, you can't just manage your mind and manage your heart so that you feel good about it and then you just do what feels good to your body. Either he is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all and you've lied to yourself and people have lied to you telling you what Christianity is. He says, if you love me, you'll deny yourself, you'll take up your cross, you'll follow me. Now, what does that mean? I'm not saying to you here in this room right now that your pastor is saying that if you wanna be a true follower of Christ and make it to heaven, you need to live a perfect life. That is not what I'm talking about. But if you're gonna fall, you need to be falling in the right direction. You know what true hypocrisy is? Hypocrisy says you're headed in that direction where every single plan and every single action when nobody's watching is headed in this direction and you intended to go that way at all. That's a hypocrite. A hypocrite is defined more by their behavior than their language. God wants, you, I want the best new scene in 2019 for my life. And if God is going to do it, it means that I need to do my part and give him my mind. I need to give him my emotions, but I also need to give him my body. And friend, let me tell you something. He gave his body for you. Why would he not want us to give our body and offer it to him as a living sacrifice? Now listen. Everything that I've just said to you up to this point in this message is right and true and is necessary to be applied to our lives. God does not just let us go to sleep a pauper and wake up the winner of the lottery. Change does not happen that way. We participate and we partner with God. He wants, Christianity is a full contact sport whether you like it or not. But here's the side to this. Everything that I've said to you up to this point is right and good, but is insufficient because we're human beings and we're limited. 
I can be disciplined and I can change my circumstances for a few years or a few decades, but I can't change my life eternally. The limitation in everything is me. It's not just enough to have changes that I bring. I need eternal ones. I have limits and sooner or later my luck runs out, my patience dries up, my strength grows weak. And that's where many of us are right now here in this room. Whether you're a million miles away from God, relationally and behaviorally, or one or the other, or you've been in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ your whole life and have attended churches like this, and he's had your heart and your body but not your mind, or your heart and your mind but not your body, or your heart and your body but not your mind, or he hasn't had the uve hold, all of it, and God understands that no matter what we do, it is insufficient, and we turn at this point to the book of Lamentations written by what we believe to be Jeremiah, and Jeremiah starts off writing a book as he's watching his people be slaughtered, his city be burned, his hopes be dashed. This is about as much of a no-win scenario, and if you think you're the only one in the universe that knows what hopelessness looks and feels like, you're wrong. The Bible is filled with tons and tons of people that face things just as bad or if not worse than you, and it's written for our solace and our comfort to understand no matter how deep the pit goes, God can reach into it. And Jeremiah writes it like this. He says, my endurance has perished. So is my hope for the Lord. Here's a man who prophesies and speaks, hears from God so clearly, has incredible courage, is willing to say something that maybe doesn't make people feel right, but he says it because it is right. And his reward is watching his city and his people go up in flames. And he sits and he's like, my goodness. Some of us in this room have seen incredible devastation in our lifetime. Some of you in this room, those of you from the Democratic Republic of Congo or Liberia, some of you are in this room and have heard some of your stories. You've seen war firsthand. We've got this saying in my house we call first world problems. I was like, I don't know what to do. That couch is like not gonna fit there or whatever. And then we look at each other and we laugh. We go, first world problem, right? Some of you in here are like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how we're gonna get out of this, this, this war camp. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll never forget when, when uh, I had a friend who I met. His name was Palu in, in the country of Angola. And his uncle was the dictator of the Democratic Republic of Congo, Mobuto Sese Seko. He was responsible for the murder of thousands and thousands of Christians. And I'm in Bible college and there's a pastor that's there by the name of Prosper and Prosper, I go, Prosper, I, I have a friend from there and he sees him and he begins to cry. He goes, that man was responsible for the killing of 125 people in my church. And you're telling me he's a Christian. And he steps back and he's like, thank you, Jesus. We prayed for him. Some of you have seen devastation and hurt on levels that us in our first world American problems, we just look at and it's just, you look at it and you're like, oh my goodness. That's not suffering. I think sometimes we just suffer in our sufferings. We're like, oh, my nail broke. <laughs> Cable's not working. <laughs> Netflix, I didn't renew the subscription, you know, but Jeremiah says, my endurance has perished in my hope from the Lord. Listen, I have hope for you this morning. And that is exactly what Jeremiah continues. You can't stop at that statement. All of us say things we don't mean permanently. 
Any of you that are new in a marriage or old in a marriage, you know what it's like to look at somebody and say something and say, oh my goodness, I really don't mean that permanently, but I wish I never said that. Everybody at one point in their life looks up and looks to heaven and says, why, what, what did I do? Why didn't I, yeah. And, and we try to figure it out and we, we're, if we're not careful and we don't manage our mind and we don't manage our emotions and we don't move our body in the right directions for God, we could get lost along the way. But Jeremiah continues, and he says this, he says, your best efforts, managing your heart, your mind, and your body are insufficient, but God's mercy does and picks up where your ability leaves off. Turn with me very quickly to Lamentations 20, chapter three, verse 21. We have this rule in the church because we're using these white ESV Bibles, the first person to find the page number can shout it out. Seven seventy two. We've got a great app. We have all versions of the Bible on there. You King Jamers, we've got it on there. New King James, RSV, ESV, ABC, all versions on there. And you can even listen to it audio. You don't have to buy the audio version. Even dramatized. But here I'm reading out of this. Lamentations chapter three, verses 21 to 26. After he gives up all hope, he says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. My soul, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those that wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. No matter how well you manage your mind, your emotions, or your body, there comes a point where it is not enough, and that's where we need the grace and the mercy and the love of God, and that is a place where he never fails us. See, I love how the gospels say it, or I think it's in, he says, uh, I'm sorry, it's in the epistles where he says, if we are faithful, faithless, he is still faithful. If we are faithless, he is still faithful. And John says that. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. I'm so glad that God never gives up on me. He knows what I am and he knows what I'm not. And this is how Jeremiah said this, but I call this to mind, therefore I have hope. The book of Lamentations is talking about everything going up in smoke and he says, I call this to mind and I have hope. What is he calling to mind that he finds hope? How can you even find hope in the midst of devastation? Here's the problem with many of us when it comes to managing our relationship with God. It's very conditional upon our circumstances. We think that our, that we, our relationship with God, if God comes in and rescues and gives us a bailout or a buyout, then we'll be able to serve and love him. No, my friends, he wants your praise. He wants your love. He wants your loyalty in the midst of that difficulty and it is through that which brings you out of that difficult situation because he always partners with us. What does he call to mind? He says, I call this to mind and I have hope. My goodness, everybody preaches about faith and every wedding talks about love, but when was the last time you heard a message focused strictly and purely on hope? Do you know what suicide is? Suicide is somebody that believes the absence of all hope. 
tomorrow is going to be worse than today and the day after that will never get better from there forward. I wish I could reach back into people's lives and be like, why don't? God has hope for you. Some of you in this room, you know, you know what that is like. I remember when I found myself between a rock and a hard place and I had a, access to a shotgun and I was just gonna, I wasn't gonna suffer. I'm gonna make this quick and get it over with and God came in and rescued my life. Some of you in this room, God stepped into you in your darkest hour of hopelessness and rescued you. Listen, faith is something you believe in. Love is someone you care about but my goodness, don't ever underestimate the power of something to look forward to. And when you surrender your life to Jesus, Christ, there is always hope, there is always a better tomorrow, there is always a better way that God has for you, and it doesn't mean that everything gets lifted and it's a problem-free or a stress-free journey. Sometimes the success and the victory comes through the struggle because God wants to partner with us in that, but there is always a tomorrow, and when Jesus becomes a part of your picture, it doesn't matter how bad you've messed up the portrait, he jumps in there with his brush and his palette, and he can make your life look something so amazing and beautiful beautiful because his hand is the hand of a master. What do we need to do to call to mind the hope if we're going to enter into this hope that God has for us? You have to call in a couple of things. When you have given your heart and your mind and your body to God, you need to remember one truth. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. This isn't love like, like I love you. Remember that young love? No, I love you. And then it always goes like this at the date. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? <laughs> and then you do nothing, right? I love you. And we've got a new dog in our house, and we love that dog, and we sound like complete fools when we talk to it. I'm glad that somebody's not recording. I'd be like, hello, puppy. <laughs> I just love you so much. We're not talking about that. You know what the love that's being spoken about here? It's, it's the, from the root word chesed. It's faithfulness steadfastness, it's, 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 a, it's a faithful kindness, it's literally the actions as if a benefactor who is loaded is taking care of all of your needs, no questions asked. And the more that they bless you, the deeper your gratitude is, the deeper your loyalty goes and your love goes, and the great, more generous they flow that love and that help in your direction. It's an action that just continues, and God knows what you need in 2019. Get ready for his steadfast love because that steadfast love never ceases. He loves you and he wants to express that love to you in help and in hope and in resource. And not only that, his mercies, the Bible says they never come to an end. And what's great about this is that the mercies are written here in the plural. I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of relationships and friendships and, and working relationships in my life where they give me one chance, two chance, strike one, strike two, three, you're out. People just don't have patience. Not God. God wakes up every day. He says, guess what? Reboot. My mercies never end. Fresh, plural, mercy. I need mercy for that. I need mercy for this. I need mercy for that. God's like, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. And then I go to sleep. I almost feel like I'm taking advantage of God. I'm not 
not doing this because I want to or I'm like, man, am I gonna just totally manipulate God? I'm gonna totally be right. No, God knows that I am but flesh and that I am weak and that I am not who I ought to be, but thank you, Jesus, I'm not who I used to be. And his mercies every morning with his steadfast kindness and love is waking up saying, Paul, I wanna put confidence in you to know that I'm not gonna hold your shortcoming against you, but I'm gonna leverage my love to you so that you don't live in that place and you begin to move out of that place into the good things that I have for your life. Mercy is not, is God not giving us what we really deserve? I, I remember somebody talking about like the difference between mercy and grace. Here's the thing too, that word mercy, it's written like this. I don't know why I keep looking over here, but I, I guess God really loves you guys. Tender mercy, yes. Listen, tender mercies, that's how it's written kind of. They're tender mercies. Tender, you ever see a baby, like you, you gotta hold its head up? And everybody talks to babies like puppies, right? I know what you do. <laughs> you just, you got that fresh new baby in that house, in the Shaw house, and you're gentle, you're tender. You don't deal with that baby the same way you do with your 40-year-old kid in the basement playing video games without a job. What is, why do I say that to say this? Is, is that God has some expectations on us, but he also knows our helplessness, our limitations. And so what does he do? He responds to us tenderly and very merciful. And he doesn't give us what we deserve. Listen, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. I was on a plane trip from Israel back to the United States when I was working for a company that was taking uh, people on tours. And all of a sudden they came in and they said, hey, uh, we have an open couple of seats in first class and we need to move some people up there because there, there was a, a problem with the flight. It was very turbulent. And so they needed to bring us. No, this wasn't from Israel. Pastor Dylan, this was from us coming back from a conference. And so Pat, they came in and they're like, we need somebody to go to the front because the plane was like really rocking and they needed to balance the weight out. And so Pastor Dylan, they went to him and he, he was, they were about to move him up there. And he said, Pastor Paul, you know what? Why don't you take that? And I said, I think I will. <laughs> That's why I love him. And it's very conditional. And I walked up, it was such a beautiful experience. They came out, they had this cloth that was heated and I put it on my face and my face breathed for the first time. <sighs> I was just like, I could get used to it. And they're like, can we get you a drink? Would you like a glass of wine? I said, no, I don't drink. How about some bubbling cider? I'm like, that sounds really good. And they came over and they kept doing all this stuff. And then I had leg room, I couldn't believe it. It was awesome. And then we, remember one time we got out and we had a car and it was a compact car. I wanna yell at the person that created Mini Coopers because as nice as those look, those things are so tiny. And I walked in and they're like, sir, we're sorry. And I'm like, oh no, there's no car. Said all the compact cars are, we're gonna have to upgrade you to a full luxury car, but we're not gonna charge you for it. I go, well, all right. <laughs> but next time, next time, why do I say all that? I say all that to say this. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. I paid for the business coach. I paid for the compact car. And yet I got the first class seat and I got the luxury car. I didn't deserve it. I didn't pay for it. But it was given to me. That's grace. The tender mercies. Mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. 
I love how the psalmist wrote it in Psalm 103.10. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Yeah. Oh my gosh. If God had to deal with me on a ledger, I am so in trouble. There's a difference between hypocrisy and weakness, friends. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like, well, just let it all hang out because no, we, we need to discipline our body, our mind, our spirit. But we're human and we have limitation and God understands that. And James says we all stumble in different ways. The question is, are you headed in the right direction with the right intention, good intention, right direction, but in your weakness, you come up short. This is the difference between Judas and Peter. Peter, when he looked Jesus in the face and said, I'll die for you, he meant every word of it. In fact, in the garden, when that man's ear got cut off, he was ready to kill anyone to give Jesus the time to run away. Don't you see what's going on there? He meant it. He was laying down his life for Jesus at that point. He would have been killed. But instead, what does Jesus do? Stop this, he heals the man. But Judas, the whole time, he's like, I'm with you, I'm with you. In the meantime, he's making this side deal for 30 pieces of silver. There's a difference between weakness and hypocrisy. And God's mercy is so available for our weakness. He understands. It never ceases. It never ends. It doesn't stop. It keeps going. God hasn't quit on you. Please stop quitting on him. As I was preparing this message, I felt like there was a tone in my spirit, and I don't know if it was for first service or second service, but this is how it comes to me sometimes, and I'm just gonna let it rip in here, and if the shoe fits, wear it, and if it needs to kick you, let it, and if it doesn't, don't take it personal, but if you get angry at the things that I'm about to say, it probably is for you. He has never stopped on you and your view of him is so skewed. You're twisted. Why? Because God hasn't given you what you wanted, when you wanted it, how you wanted it. That's what makes him wrong, because he didn't self-serve you. How about your love and loyalty? He consistently has been committed to you and you've consistently been unfaithful to him. You've ignored him. I feel like he would say it like this like he did to Job when Job stood before him. And God said, who are you to accuse me? Where were you when I hung the stars? Where were you when I shaped the earth or called forth life or breathed and hung the universe in existence? Who do you think that you are to complain to me? Don't walk away. Don't shake your fist at him. Stop ignoring him. Stop tearing up his reputation like he is someone that is unfaithful and unworthy to trust. It's your act that needs to get together, not his. It's his reputation that is, is not at stake, it's yours. And this amazes me, listen, that's my rant, but let me step back now as pastor and just say this real quick. It amazes me how many people are angry at God or they're like, I've given up on church but I haven't given up on Jesus and it's just a big, big cloak of the fact that they're not managing their mind, they're not managing their emotions, they're not managing their body, they're not managing their morality, and every time life isn't served to them the way that they think God is supposed to do it, they get mad at him, and then they have, and God and me aren't talking terms and all that. Listen, are you crazy? He's the God that built the universe. He he spoke, he gave the breath to your life. Who, Who do you think you are? 
You're crazy. Every good and perfect gift comes down from Father above and he blesses you and he's been good to you. And this is why when I look at Lamentations and I see Jeremiah saying it like this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. And if that's been your MO and your disposition, guess what? He even has mercy for you and he even has love for you if you'll just totally realign your relationship with him and start to realize some of the greatest messages that God speaks to us is through our suffering. Come on. How many of you in the darkest hours of your life heard the clearest voice from heaven? Stop blaming and claiming. Start surrendering. He takes only unconditional surrender. He doesn't doesn't broker deals with us to say, well, you know, I'll do this for you if you do that. And, And No, he wants it all. And I love how Mark Batterson said it in his book, All In. Either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Understanding that there's room for grace and growth in that. They're new every morning. You know what's beautiful about the word of God's faithfulness and mercy that's new every morning? Is that it's a word, God would not fit into American consumer culture well at all. He wouldn't. I remember my parents bought these jeans for me called tough skins. They were sold at Sears, which just went bankrupt. I should tell you something. I think it was tough skins. And then when I got a rip on my jeans, you know what my mom did? She said, we're going to put a patch on that sucker. Sometimes they sewed it on me while I had them on. Ow! It's feeling good. My parents were like, we will replace your jeans when they disintegrate. And tough skins said that these will never disintegrate, and so I had like one pair of jeans for my entire life. Um... When we think about new, we think about when we go to buy a phone, they say, do you want to buy the upgrade for the new phone? Do you want to buy the upgrade so that next year when the next phone comes out, we'll instantly replace it, right? It used to be for thousands of years, the older it was, the better it was, but now in our culture, the newer it is, the better it is, and it's all consumer culture, and so we rush out and we get the newest this, otherwise we're not happy, and and that's not what new means here in the Bible or what is being talked about here. New in God's economy is renew. You see, God recycles. God recycles trash. I know it sounds crazy, but sometimes I'm just like, Lord, I'm evidence that you recycle garbage. Thank you. Thank you. Renew means this. It's not that you're gonna go to sleep a pauper and you're gonna wake up winning the lottery with a new car. No, that's not how this works. You know what it is? You go to sleep and you wake up and you say, Lord, your steadfast love never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. I'm gonna do my part and give you my mind, my body, and my spirit. But you, oh my goodness, if you don't step in with your steadfast love and your mercies, nothing's gonna happen. So I want you to know I'm gonna do like it depends on me, but I'm gonna trust like it depends on you. And you're gonna work this out and you begin to move. You see, we want God to rescue us and bail us out of our difficulties and our situation. No, God enters into the pit of Joseph, into the prison of Joseph, and he journeys with us through those situations because he's a God, when he renews our life, he can take us from a pit and a cistern and a prison and all of a sudden at the turn of a moment from those that are faithful with him put us directly in a palace. That's what new means in God's economy. 
but we, wanna, we want God to just come in and just do all the work. And he's like, it's not how it works. It's not how it works. Get working. Two mice fell into milk. <laughs> you guys know the movie quote, right? One of them drowned and gave up, and the other one turned it into butter and climbed out. God says, if you will ex- exhaust what is your responsibility and lean on my ability you'll experience a new scene in 2019 based off of my steadfast love, my grace, and my mercy. If you will manage your mind, manage your emotions, and manage your body, and understand that you are a steward and they actually belong to God because he ransomed and paid for it with his blood, and he wants you to honor him with it, he will turn your life around in ways you never expected, but you do it in his timetable, and that's why it says at the end this, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's what the prophet said, Isaiah said to him, be careful, be quiet, don't be afraid. Manage your emotions, manage your mind. Surrender them to God. But here's the thing. Many of us are looking for a 21st century American consumer culture God, and he does not exist. He's not gonna show up, and your debt's not going to disappear overnight, and your problems aren't gonna go away, and your enemies, sometimes even they even raise up. It's not that, it's the fact that God is with you in the storm, with you in your boat, with you in the prison, with you in the pit, with you in the problem. If God is for us, who can be against us? And that requires that you keep your cool. The Lord is good to those who what? Who wait for him. Some of us, we don't even know how to wait. To those who seek him. We're waiting, but we're not seeking. It's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And that's what the writer in Lamentations wrote. That's what the author of this song meant when they drafted it. And to close our service off, I'd like for us to stand. What we're going to do is is we're going to literally sing this scripture that was crafted into a song in the 80s, the best decade ever. Pastor Dylan's not here. He always tells me he wants the 80s to disappear. I'm like, there he is. Just look at him and make him feel real uncomfortable. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. This isn't a dismissal. It's, it's, it's It's an altar call right where you're standing. It's a chance for you to sing where your heart is. Maybe your body's not there. Maybe your mind's not there. Maybe your emotions aren't there. But it's a declaration to God to say, oh God, I'm not going to move forward to an altar, but I'm going to move my heart up to you and say, I'm ready to get working. I'm ready for a new scene in 2019. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. Lord, they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We're going to sing this, and I'll come back and close this into prayer. Let's make this our altar.
play that, here's my challenge to you. It's easy to take a message like this and just walk out, but you know what? If you can't move your body, how can you move your heart? How can you move your mind? If you're here today and you're like, oh my goodness, God, you need more in my mind. Here it is. You need more of my heart. Here it is. I want us to sing this one more time. Some of you have children and you need to get them, but many of you need to galvanize this moment between you and God. And as they sing that, I want to invite you across the front here to find a place with God. No man, no woman has what you need. In fact, this isn't about you getting prayer to, to get what you need. It's about you giving to God what he's what he died for, your mind, your heart, your body, your spirit. Maybe for some of you that have grown up in different church traditions, this is kind of something you're like, well, we never do this in our church. Trust me, it's biblical. It's a good thing. My challenge to you is this. If God needs more of your mind, bring it to him at this altar. Make it that moment that you say, Lord, here's all my mind. It's yours. God, here's all my heart. It's yours. Lord, my body's been in my control. I'm giving it over to you. Father, I'm yours. Uve ho levanta. Uve ho nafeshka. Uve ho I give you all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength. I surrender to you, Jesus, and let 2019 be the greatest year in my relationship with you and in the greatest trajectory for my years to come. In Jesus' name, the altars are yours, the song is ours, the children await you. God bless you as you come. Thank you.